Well, if you have been with us any time at all, you do know that uh, we have been going through the book of Hebrews, whether you're visiting for the first time or watching online, we are continuing in that series for the next uh, couple of months at least. And in that series, we've talked a lot about the old covenant. We've talked a lot about the new covenant. We've talked a lot about uh, the mediator of the new covenant. This morning, we're going to stay in that realm, but we're going to emphasize something a little bit unique, not that we haven't mentioned it before in our sermons, not that we have not already talked about it a lot in the songs, in the prayers, in the confession, but we're going to introduce uh, and, and get in depth a little bit about why all this talk about the blood. That's why I've entitled the sermon, Why All This Fuss About the Blood. So let's simply begin with our passage. I'm going to read in Hebrews 9, beginning in verse 11. It's printed for you in your bulletins. If you don't have your Bibles, let's, let's simply start out there. Beginning in verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption." For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance." since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment by the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop And he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do Thank you for continuing to speak to us through your word. We thank you that you have revealed to us what it means to live in Jesus Christ. And we ask now that as this man preaches your word, that you would use the words that are now declared to build up your people, to declare your gospel, that we would better see Jesus whose name we pray. Amen. So why all this fuss about the blood? Realize I'm not going to go exactly in the, the order of the verses here, but we're going to talk about three things that I think are really important if we're going to understand uh, the blood of Christ. First of all, we're going to talk about, again, covenant. 
but add also its relationship with blood, covenant and blood. What, what's the deal with that? Secondly, we're going to talk about why Christ's blood. Why did he have to die? And then lastly, we're going to see why this is better, why, why this is good for us. So our first point, covenant and blood. Look at verse 15 there, right in the middle. It holds the passage together. Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called, that they would receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them. Realize this, all mankind, every human being, whether you're a believer or not, every human being created in the image of God is in a covenant relationship with God. There is an unbreakable commitment between God and man, and that is the reality of our existence. That's what it means to be in covenant with God. Romans 1 teaches that we are all in a binding relationship to the God who created us, whether we accept it or not, whether we believe that's true or not, we are in a binding relationship with our creator. And I do realize that many people will push back on this idea that it sounds too religious, that it sounds too spiritual, especially in the world that we live in today. It's a world where we can actually think, even as Christians, that we don't really need God. All of our technology, all the improvements of, uh, in our quality of life, all of our abilities to seemingly maybe not totally solve, but somewhat solve all the problems that we have in this world today, we can actually get through a week and think we, we really did okay without God. But I have to say, all of history, up until modern times, most people in every culture in the world, they did not think that way. They saw that something was wrong in the world, and regardless of their religion, regardless of what God they served or didn't serve, they had an idea that they were partially to blame for the problems. They may have worshipped different gods, but they all knew that they were in some kind of binding relationship with either the universe or with some deity. And that binding relationship meant that any problems that existed in the world, it wasn't the deity's fault. It wasn't God's fault. It was their fault in some measure. And that's where the blood comes in. So you have this binding relationship with human beings and their creator or something above and beyond them. They realized there was a problem. And blood has to come in because the blood of an innocent victim, mostly an animal sacrifice back then, it had to be spilled if their God was going to bless them. Or the, the blood of an animal. If they were to have peace with God, somebody had to pay. And I know this goes against our modern sensibilities, right? But at that time, in that place, sacrifice and blood was always a part of appeasing the deity's displeasure with man. And you have to realize this passage here, actually 8, 9, and 10, it's not primarily a theological argument, although there's a lot of theology involved. This is a religious argument, and in religious terms, blood always played a part with relationships. 
And you just have to think about it, close, personal, intimate relationships. Think about when, at least I remember, when I was a young, young child, a fourth or fifth grader, I had a really good friend named Michael, and I wanted to, to prove my good friendship with him, and we became blood brothers, right? If something was broken, or if you wanted to ratify or confirm something, we talk about our blood family. Binding relationships in ancient times always had a currency, and that currency was blood. You see, they were, they were also much more comfortable with another idea, that there was something wrong in the world, and they weren't afraid to call it sin. They lived in a world that didn't hide the fact that bad things happened, and at least some of the time, they knew it was their fault. And, and don't get me wrong, this morning, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying, I, I think it's, I actually think it's a really good thing that we've moved away from the blood sacrifice. I'm not trying to confuse this here. But that doesn't mean that the ancient world and people that have come before us, that doesn't mean that they got everything else wrong. I mean, after all, in America, and I'm being sarcastic here, We've recently shown how civilized, how good, how pleasant of a people we can be. My point here with covenant and blood is this. While we may think that we have really progressed as human beings because we don't mess with this blood stuff anymore, if you look out in the world, there sure does seem to be, if not a lot of physical blood on the streets, there's a lot of metaphorical blood on the streets. And that blood is still crying out for things to be made right. And what I, wanna, what I want us to understand this morning when we talk about this binding relationship, this covenant that we have with God and its relationship with blood, what I want us to understand is because we are in covenant with our Creator, we are also bound to other people. We have relationships with other people. And we have to acknowledge that we have a large part to play in messing that up. Somebody has to pay if things are going to be made right. That's why in ancient days, this idea of covenant and this idea of blood, it, wasn't, it, it wouldn't have startled them. So for the unbeliever here this morning, when we talk about covenant, when we talk about blood, we do have to think about this. There needs to be a reckoning with the fact that some of the problems that we face, some of the problems that we struggle with on the inside because of our humanity, while it sometimes might be other people's fault, a lot of the times it's our fault and we can't fix it ourselves. Now, if you're a believer here this morning, you might, you might be really, you know about this blood stuff. But then the question for us remains, why do we live so often as if we can do it on our own? Another way to say that is, why do we forget about the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for the forgiveness of sins? So covenant and blood is not that foreign of a concept. I hope you understand that. Why do we live so often like it is? Leads to our second point. Why did Christ have to die? Or, or what's this stuff about Christ's blood? 
The problem is that we've broken the covenant with God. We've broken the relationship with God. It impacts our relationships with other people in the world. But as the second part of verse 15 says, a death has occurred to fix it. In fact, verses 16 through 22 explain why Christ had to die or why Christ's blood was necessary. Verse 16 where a will is involved. And realize that's the same word as covenant in the Greek, but the translators are trying to explain how the covenant works. So when you talk about will here, or some some other versions say testament, it's really a covenant procedure. So where the covenant procedure is involved, someone has to die. For the inheritance of the promise to come about, verse 17 says, it only takes effect when a death occurs. So in the old covenant, God provided a death through animal blood. I do want you to realize it was effective for them at that time. It's not like it didn't work, but it always pointed to the need for something better. Today in the new and better covenant, the one who is both man and God, he has to pay the price in his own blood. It's a special kind of blood because death has no power over that. Because Jesus was like us in every way, yet without sin, means he was fully man, and yet he was fully God. Because he was both God and man, and in his humanity he lived perfectly, death had no power over him. You see, a normal human being can give his life for another person, and that is admirable. But that person still dies. Only the God-man can give his life for another and live. That's why it had to be the blood of the second person of the Trinity who is Jesus Christ. Now, I think most of us here this morning know that. But I don't think it impacts us the way it should. And I think, at least for our purposes this morning, there's two reasons for that. Why doesn't? So the question is, we know why it had to be the blood of Christ. Why doesn't it impact us Monday through Saturday or maybe even Sunday afternoon? There's two reasons. First of all, we don't think our sin is as dangerous as it is. And because we don't think our sin is dangerous, secondly, it's not that big of a deal to be saved from it. So think about this. Some of us know that there are certain sins that are pretty dangerous. Those those sins like murder, adultery. They can get us into a lot of trouble. That's pretty dangerous. There are other sins that, that are probably we would consider dangerous, but we kind of get away with them because we can blame other people, right? We can blame other people for theft. We can blame other people for porn. So we think they're a big deal, but, but Usually it's somebody else's fault. You know, much of the sin that we commit, in fact, I bet for most of you here this morning, much of the sin we commit, we get away with. A crossword to my wife. A little white lie here and there. And because other people are pretty nice, it's not that big of a deal. But what if we actually thought that even those very, very little sins... What if we thought of those sins as being pollution and pollution works its way out in our bodies and out into the world? You know the way the the writer to the Hebrews thinks of sin? He thinks of it as defilement, 
We don't use that word a lot. But what he means by defiled is that dependent upon each and every one of our situations, we are much more capable of much more evil than we ever thought possible. Do you really believe that? Sin is that dangerous. It can start very, very small and be very, very subtle. And over the course of of 20 years, people may not recognize us anymore. See, I've been, uh, I've been reading this new apocalyptic series of books. If you know me at all, you realize I have this reading plan, and in the evenings, I, I, read, I read what I refer to as brain-dead books that just kind of put me to sleep. I don't have to think that much. So I've been reading this new apocalyptic series of books, and it's based on an EMP attack. EMP, electromagnetic pulse, has been released over America. An electromagnetic pulse, what happens is the nuclear, nuclear bombs are set off above the atmosphere and it protects us from the radiation because of the atmosphere, but it then destroys the power grid. So everybody's left without any water, left without any food, left without any resources, left without any electricity. There's, there's no way to take care of themselves. People aren't able to cope. And in the first book, by the time the EMP is released, by the second page, you know what you don't see? You don't see people walking out in the streets saying, hey, what can I do for my neighbor to help them out? By page three, you actually see that when people are stuck not being able to take care of themselves, they're actually killing their neighbors. And if you don't think that would happen in America, if you don't even think it's possible with your own lives, then I think you're either pretty naive or you simply haven't been watching the news. Sin is not only a personal problem, it is a human problem, and it goes very, very deep, and it's very, very dangerous, even the little sins, and because it's that dangerous, it costs God a lot to fix it. We have a perfect heavenly father who gives his perfect son to die in our place. He sheds his own blood and that blood is powerful because it flows directly from the heart of God himself in the person of Jesus Christ and he didn't have to do it. And we can never do anything to repay him. That's how costly it is. It had to be the blood of Jesus. So we have this binding relationship with God and and in religious terms, that relationship has to be fixed by blood and the blood that ultimately has to fix us is Jesus's blood, which leads to our final point. Why is this good? Because that's a little heavy. Why is this good? The special blood of Jesus, the special death of this very special person, he has entered into heaven itself where death no more reigns. And Christ himself is preparing that place and preparing us to be there with him. And here's the beautiful thing. Nothing else has to happen for our place, our future to be secure. It's done. It's complete. And we can rest in that. Verse 11 says, the good things have come. That is our future that can be experienced now. So in other words, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have progressed. But it's not man's accomplishments. 
It's all of God. And according to verse 14, the first specific benefit of Jesus' blood is this. It's because of the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit, it purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What does it mean to have our consciences purified? One scholar puts it like this. The human organ of spiritual life which embraces the whole person allows us to be confronted with the holiness of God and live. Nothing else has to die. Not even you and I, ultimately. Every impediment to the worship of God, every impediment that stops us from loving and serving other people self-sacrificially has been removed forever. When our consciences are purified, we have no reason to try to convince ourselves that we are good in and of ourselves. We know we're not. We have no reason to try to convince other people that we're good. We don't have to pretend anymore because God has made us good from the inside out. Our whole being represented by Christ, which is the second benefit, we are made pure. We are holy. We are set apart. We are new. And we can walk out of these doors with our heads high, not because we're good in and of ourselves, but we are clean in front of a holy God and we will live. The second thing is, like I said, is we are represented by Christ himself. We have an advocate. We have one who represents us. Even Hal prayed this morning that Jesus Christ is interceding on our behalf. This is the second benefit, represented by Christ. You know what it means when we say Jesus is interceding for us? I think we have, it's tainted with some wrong ideas. Jesus interceding for us is not Jesus pleading with the Father to change his attitude towards us. That's not what it means when Jesus is interceding on our behalf. He is not pleading with the Father to change his attitude towards us. It's been changed. His attitude hadn't been changed. We've been changed in Christ, and Jesus doesn't have to plead our cause anymore. Do you know what he's doing? Intercession is the presence of the Lamb of God who bears the marks of his death, which is nothing less than the perpetual guarantee of our acceptance. We are accepted by the Creator, and that relationship has been restored, and we are good. Do you know what, <clears throat> do you know what people accepted by God do? When you realize that you're accepted by the God of the universe who who saved you by the blood of the precious lamb, do do, do you know what accepted people do? Each and every moment of life, they try each and every day to do exactly what God wants them to do. They seek to obey God's law. You know why they seek to obey God's law now in a unique way? Because the law is now written in our hearts. And we know, when we know the cost of our salvation, the cost of our redemption, when we know that we've been accepted by God and nothing can separate us from that truth, we will wake up every day realizing, oh no, I have a tendency to try to take this day on without thinking about God at all. And we say, but that's not truth. And this morning... This 
evening, this day, I'm going to do everything that I can to please the one who's accepted me. Regardless of the consequences. That means like Hal was praying today, that means that we can actually, we can actually give up our money even if it hurts. We can actually tell the truth even if we lose our jobs. We can even confess our sins one to another, acknowledge that we're not the way we're supposed to be, and know that even if that person doesn't accept that, that request for forgiveness, God still does. We have our consciences cleared, purified. We are represented by Jesus Christ, accepted by God. And then lastly, why is this so good? We could spend 10 sermons on this, but we now have the blessings of Christ himself. And for our purposes this morning, this is how I want to describe the blessings of Christ. The blessings of Christ are like living under the continual benediction that you receive each and every Sunday, every day of the week. So today, when when I lift my hands and give you God's blessing, God's benediction, you are to realize that living in the blessings of Christ is living under the umbrella of this truth. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work in word. In other words, when you leave here today, that truth is yours and you can live in light of it because that's the blessing of Christ to you and it is true. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus and friends who may be thinking about what it is that makes their life worth living, it's all about and only about the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for the forgiveness of sins. It's because of the blood that we are accepted by God. It's because of the blood that we can obey God. And it's because of the blood that we can go through whatever it is he is asking us to go through today because our future is secure. We have to know that Jesus Christ has died and he's died for people like me and like you. There is no forgiveness without the blood. There is no life without the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I I pray that you would As we come to the Lord's table this morning, would we remember your death, your sacrifice, your blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins? And would we just take a little bit of those blessings and live in light of them this afternoon, tomorrow, and for the rest of our lives? It's because of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.